Hello, freaks. Welcome back to Radical Research. It's not like we haven't talked in five months, right? Surely not. Pretty we, sure we, we've both been through some personal crud that made our three-month hiatus go to five, but we're not really going to acknowledge that. This is our escape from the outside world. So. Indeed. Even though we haven't been outside much. <laughs> I've been outside remarkably little. <laughs> <laughs> Are you wearing a, uh, a, a Radish Cafe mask? Uh, not tonight. Okay. No, I'm I'm taking it all off for radical research. We haven't talked masks. Like, what what masks are you? Uh, are you? I have a, a just I, I a see bl- you like high end restaurant masks. Or- no, I, I have a like an anonymous black mask. Cool. Okay. It makes me feel more dangerous than I really am. It makes you look like Vorfalak in the early days. Sort of. Yeah. Yeah. It it, it, it lends a threat to my uh, my look um, that would be bereft otherwise. And anybody tuning in would probably just turn the dial now if they don't know who Vorfalak is. So we've just kind of weeded out the week, and here we are. <laughs> here we are. Radical research. I, we should acknowledge our audience, man. We have, like, so many fucking cool listeners. And I just want to say that, like, those are the people that we were kind of looking for when we started this and didn't know if they were out there. Turns out they are. I mean, like, people that, like, no means no to mind over four to nuclear death who can speak the language or have, have the curiosity in, in the weird shit. You know what sure, I mean? Sure, sure. But anyway, I want to acknowledge them. So no, you. no, it's been very uh, reassuring um, to find that we are we are not alone in our travels. And this is what this is. This is travel. I mean, you know, we mentioned that obviously everybody's gone through so many changes in five months. It's a different world. I mean, literally, I, I don't think I've ever said that with such seriousness in my life. But yeah, it was an interesting time for us to take a hiatus. Yeah. Honestly. I, yeah. Like two weeks later, it, it was a thing. And yeah. Really, I knew about it. I think you knew about it, but we didn't see this coming in the way it did. No, I don't want to spend a bunch of, bunch of time on that, but I just think it's you know I just want to thank everybody for tuning back in. Basically, for sure, everything we've all been through. Um, hope everybody's staying safe out there, and we will get over this. Um, personally, I can't wait for November, but we will not get any more political than that. <laughs> okay. I'm a little nervous, but you know. I, so, I just want to catch up with you. You and I have talked a lot over the last five months. Uh, we haven't done. You know, we haven't seen each other. We haven't listened to music much together. So I can't wait to do this again and do it every few weeks. But um, in the last five months, like some interesting things have come up. We were like, oh, let's just save that for ra- radical research. So you got to start with telling me about um, your prong dream. And then we're going to shift to um, – we will get to Nocturnus, people. But um, we were, we're going to shift to, after that, uh, the Def Leppard album cover thing. And then we'll get to Queensryche, which I'm fearing. because This is, this is going to be show us having a split, apparently. I don't know what it is. But let's go. Let's just let, let, look. Let's just table the Queen Trek thing for right now, okay? Let's let's oh. deal with the other matters at hand first. So the yeah. the prong dream. So I, I guess this conversation was precipitated by um, our dear friends, metal and indie rock scholar Tom Haley, and mm-hmm. his pressure on us to listen to Force Fed, which he considers to be a top tier thrash album. Yeah. Um, and so you and I started talking about Prong and kind of where we stand with them. And, you know, I mean, both of us have sort of tense relationships with that band. I happen to absolutely adore Beg to Differ. It's the only Prong album that I truly love. And Prime Cut. Yeah, I, man, Prime Cut. I'm not a huge fan. Yeah. I, I dabbled with them back then. I, I want to get back to you, but like I did dabble with them. Um, I saw them live, I think, definitely once. Um, yeah. Met Mike Kirkland. Uh, is that the original bass player? Mm-hmm. 
he was he was way out of it. He was everything you'd imagine from the stories you've heard. And um, but yeah, I did. He didn't stick with me. So I want to hear about you know. Okay, so big to differ is the one for you. You're yeah. not. And I, I think Ted Parsons is like one of the most underrated drummers in heavy music. I mean, that guy was like a metronome well before Beat Detective and Pro Tools. I mean, yeah, he's amazing. He's he's the musician in the band that's most fascinating, I think. For sure, for sure. So anyway, I get into Beg to Differ, and I'm like just super into it. I think this is like ninety, early ninety two or something. So (laughs) I am. on Sundays as a kid, we would go over to my aunt and uncle's house and we would eat like a big Southern lunch. Um, and I always looked forward to it cause it was like, I don't even remember really eating dinner a ton as a kid because like I couldn't fit anything else into my body. So <laughs> eat this like gigantic lunch and I go into my grandmother's little section of the house and take a nap. <laughs> and I had, I still, the, the dream is still so lucid. I had this dream that I have been invited down into the sewers of New York city. And Tommy Victor cooks me a dinner of country fried steak, mashed potatoes and gravy, macaroni and cheese and butter beans. <laughs> and I, I can almost, I can say with like, like almost no, with almost complete certainty that Tommy Victor's never eaten any of those things. I, I, and, and, and when you, when you say Tommy Victor and butter beans in the same sentence, <laughs> I kind of lose it. But I mean, it was like, he had like a, like a tablecloth and everything down in the sewer. <laughs> oh, that's awesome, dude. I, yeah. Thanks for sharing. I'm glad we saved it for this. <laughs> It doesn't make us love force fed anymore, but you know, I'm curious and no. thanks Tom for pushing us. Cause I, I guess if I look back, that's the one I would maybe buy again if I, if I bought one. Yeah. I don't know. Um, you're a big to differ, man. I, am. I love, yep. Prescott. I love, uh, love the album cover. So there you go. Um, and, and, and then we, uh, we, we jumped to a, a very non-radical research topic, but a, a band we both love to some degree. I mean, I, I have and love the first three Def Leppard albums to various degrees. Mm-hmm. You have been a hysteria man until somewhat recently. I think you've maybe come back a little on that, but this is about their album covers. So I, again, I'm going to let you take the mic and just. I don't. I, I really should have prepared some notes for this, but like, it's mostly hysteria. Like, I, I've never really paid attention to the album cover before I started listening to the album again. Because, and, and like you say, I, I kind of went through this period of disillusionment where I finally realized that the album's really not all that great like it's got some a few great moments on it i think the title track's great but even always, the decent stuff on it like has flaws you always uh, to me talked about it in the context of a production piece which anybody that listens to it whether you like you don't like it like i i don't i don't like it at all you you have liked it or whatever you know, we can both agree in the middle that the production is, is amazing because it's, it, it, it nails what it's trying to do. Totally. It's, it's definitive for that era and that year and that kind of band that they are at that point. But, like, I have no idea what is going on with that album cover. Like, the geometry, <laughs> that's right? sort of like, weird, like, tiger animal thing that I can't make out. Like the color, I mean, it, it, like it's correlation to the album title. None of it makes any sense. It's, it's just, just pure madness. Even like Pyromania's covers, like what? 
See, I like that. I, I mean, I, I get, I like that. I like Power Mania. The album cover? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What, what's uh, what's what's not speaking to you about it? I guess the architecture. Oh. Like, it's like a steel and glass building. Well, yeah, but it's in the sights. It's in the I sights. Guess. Yeah. I don't no, know. That makes, it, that makes it a little more, like, you know, cool. Threatening. Uh, yeah. Threatening. I don't know. Uh, and it's called Pyromania. Or is it in, in the sights, man? I don't even know. I, I'm, there I'm, there I'm, are sights. Okay. Like gun sights. Right. And the building's on fire. Right. So that building's getting, like, under siege from somebody. Man, that's not yes, a sir, man. Yeah, like, yeah, it's like diehard. Now, yeah. the cover of Hysteria itself, I'm looking at it. Yeah, man, it's it's like alien computer chip, like, circle in, in the out, outside, and baby blue, kind of, with some green. Very, very, like, arcade-looking. It's like, okay, let's spend, like, $10 million recording this thing, and then we're going to slap this cover on it. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with the yeah the the, the screaming white albino face. It what almost looks that like thing. Bath. Yeah, it almost looks like a bath on acid from Immortal. Um, <laughs> and then you then you zoom out though. He, he's sort of intersecting this green head that's screaming. I it, it works for me on some level, and then on another level, I'm like, yeah, that's really fucking dumb. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, it's confusing. Know. Yeah, I, I'm completely confused. <laughs> Quick judgment on Hysteria's musical attributes uh, in 2020, Hunter sobering give it a 10 out of 10 four out of 10 you own a, you own a it's it's got i i do it but okay. it's got some truly embarrassing songs on it i've always wanted to like it i appreciate you for liking it i've i've had a surprising amount of conversations with people who i'm like oh my god they're totally in a hysteria it's like this weird album that like people from various walks really right. kind of defend and it's it's i think some people think it's a very indefensible type of album I went down that road for a long time, but I've sort of reached a crossroads. I understand. Cool. Um, But here's where we're going to reach a crossroads. Apparently, Um, Queensryche came up recently, sort of in general. You know, you and I are always listening to them to some degree, right? I mean, I reach border is never far away. Neither was anything up, you know, from the EP up to Promised Land uh, ever far away. But I think you've been listening to Operation. I wonder, and you told me that we're going to part ways on this one. We are, so, um, and I, and once I say this, it can't be unsaid. Um, and I, you know, you and I are going to have to spend a lot of time in close quarters in a couple of weeks. So yeah, I'm, right. I'm hoping that we can we can get over this. But I, I'm I'm just going to lay it on the line, man. Mind Crime is my favorite Queen Track album. I, I, uh, I, I kind of thought you were going there. Yeah, I prepared myself. Yeah, I, dude, you know, I worship Rage Order. Worship it. You know that. But man. Minecraft well, just speaks to me. Look, when it comes to picking my second favorite Queensryche, I think Warning and Operation are neck and neck. Sure. So Operation is an album that I, I, I won't argue against, you know, as your favorite. I'm just surprised because I know my love for Rage of Order, and I, you shared that love, and you still share it. I do share that love. Yes, it absolutely. Minecraft up a notch, and that's interesting to me. But that can happen, man. I've had that happen with a few Kiss albums lately or a few Blue Oyster Cold albums lately. Yeah. Like, you know, the more I get to know these, I'm kind of like, yeah, that's actually better than I remember. And maybe this one is not weaker. I don't think Race for Order didn't get weak for you. No, no, not at all. Not at all. I just found myself drawn more to mind crime. Well, that does feel like a split. My, my heart's a little bit um, in shock right now. I'm, I knew there'd be a little hurt. I'm between pounding and just complete stoppage. Of the heart. 
because I just love Rachel Order that much. I want that to be our, you know, Awaken the Guardian or our, you know, something where we're like both like that's that's the masterpiece. You know? Yeah, that's it is a that. masterpiece. Yeah, that's interesting. But God, that's a great album. I mean, you're right, right? I mean, it's so good. It's so good. Man, what, spreading, what, what, spreading the disease. Yeah, I don't believe in love. I mean, God, it just yeah, no, it's slice after slice, man. Did something in particular? Did you have a revelation where you were like, "Oh man, I think this is it"? Like, what was there a moment? There kind of was, yeah, kind of a Damascus moment. Yeah, I um, I was riding um out here, um, this kind of remote street um that abuts one of the rivers. Yeah, spreading the disease came on, and it was just the right song at the right moment in my life you know all, yeah, all, all those things that sort of converge you know to make that perfect listen i love that i love that it's spreading because that might be my favorite song on that album too I, yeah, I, 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 and i was just like golly i don't think i can deny it anymore and sweet sister mary man that's oh that's, yeah that's just a, a, a fantastic piece of work that's a masterpiece within a masterpiece yeah it is I do think that that song can never be called overrated. I'm sure somebody out there will, will claim that on some stupid social media. Post. Yeah. Well, we don't, we don't care about those people. No, they, they can die. Um, <laughs> speaking of dying, I've been listening to a lot of darkness descends by dark angel. Mm-hmm. Um, and that fucker is like all early death metal as much as it is intense thrash. Oh, I mean, it's pitch the, black, man. By the end you get to perish in flames. You're like, this is death metal. And yeah. Basically death metal by the end of the record. Cause basically. I think that that, uh, that song has, the most aggressive Don Doty vocals. And he's just snarling. His Dude, he's out of his mind. Yeah. I love that album, man. That's a, that, there's a, there's another one that just gets better. You know, I mean, you know, that's a top three thrash album for me. Good. I mean, Good that, that um, mind wars and rain and blood are, and I can even see black metal influence. Cause it's so, it seethes so hatefully. Right? Yes. Yes. And it it's, does. Got that, it's a somewhat thinner tone, although the guitars are badass. The reason I bring up Dark Angel is because my only story uh, or thing that, that you didn't know or we haven't talked about in the last five months is when back in um, mid to late 90s, I um, had to go to L.A. over Christmas. And uh, I'll spare you all those details, but I had to be away from home for Christmas, my first time probably ever. But I was in L.A. and I knew people and you know I was working for Century Media at the time, I believe, uh, or the end. I can't remember. But anyway, I had reason to be out there. And I knew somebody who knew Jim Durkin of Dark Angel, who, you know, as as I just so effusively was talking about, you know, their early work and, uh, you know, the next two albums, too, even though Durkin's on uh-huh. Brooklyn. Um, you know, he's on, obviously on Leave Scars, huge part of that, um, huge part of Dark Angel. And she knew um, she knew Jim Durkin. So we went over to his house. I think it was either on the 23rd or the 24th of December. And he's having a little Christmas party for his friends. This is an annual thing. This happens apparently a lot. And um, the first probably within 30 seconds of walking in the door, he knew who I was from, I guess, Maniacs and whatever. Uh, I think I wrote some liner notes for Dark Angel 2 for Century Media reissues. So I guess he knew that. I, of course, knew him. I've known him since he was 16 by name and, and guitar. Sure. Um, within the first 30 seconds of getting there, we're talking about Michael Shanker. He's a huge fan. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I could talk Michael Shanker all night. I fu- that guy's fucking phenomenal, you know. Um, so we, we're talking Michael Shanker. The night goes on and I meet um, Katon. Katon W. Depenia oh, nice. from Hyrax. Cool motherfucking guy. I mean, we had a blast. Hilarious. 
laugh a minute. I mean, just warm as fuck. Like, I was like, I, I feel like I've known this guy my entire life. He really, I, I mean, I've never met him, but like, you know, the footage I've seen of him, he seems like just the coolest dude. Yeah, he is. And then Steve Gaines, who, of the two Abattoir albums, maybe there's a third reunion one. I don't care. Um, uh, I don't think I should care anyway. Um, the first Abattoir is uh, Vicious Attack is a, is a top album for me, just metal, metal wise. And Steve Gaines sings on that. And then he went on to be uh, in some other later bands. Um, his brother is Tim Gaines from Striper. Uh, but I've always loved the vocals in that first Avatar. And, he, and that guy's there. So I'm like, why? How did, how did this happen in my life where I'm hanging out with like Kathan <laughs> from Hyrax, Jim Durkin from Dark Angel? I mean, LA God. metal royalty, man. And then the Steve Gaines guy who's on this kind of like semi obscure, you know, Avatar album that I love so much, like one that I'd never get rid of. I've got it on CD and vinyl. I listen to it all the time. You know, I love it. And Steve Gaines is, is phenomenally awesome on that album vocally. Did you guys do like a Secret Santa? <laughs> no. I mean, <laughs> had I known, I would have brought something. It's the least I can do. Uh, but it was great. And then like hanging out with my friend Luana and um, Charles was there. He's in a band. Uh, that's on Relapse, a death metal band. Um, God, the name escapes me. That's terrible. But he's a great, he's a great dude. Um, we had a, we all had a blast. It was it was amazing. So I, I couldn't believe that I hadn't told you the Jim Durkin Christmas. No, dude, did. Jim Durkin Christmas. And just watching them, you know, um, exchange gifts, and they were they're they're all sweet and awesome people. That's one of the but, things that I've discovered so often in metal. It's like people that make really really aggressive music and really heavy dark music often turn out to be really kind sweet people oh yeah you know yeah. it's yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah we 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 love in the metal community i can't I, i've never met mike browning but i i'll just assume he was a nice guy yeah, we'll, uh, we'll assume i have reservations on that i don't know i something tells me that he's a, he's a little weird which i like i want mike browning to be weird well, i'm pretty sure mike browning is weird it seems nice enough he was in nocturnus which brings us to Thresholds, the off-maligned, mostly unloved, and we admit something quite, you know, cantankerous, obviously flawed, blocky, and perplexing second album by Nocturnus, and we love it, despite all that. I'd wager, we're going to open it up this way, buddy, I wager, and you can be the authority on this, um, that this is an honorary 1993 album. I mean, it's right on the cusp of 1993 came out on December 18th, 1992. So, you know, let's just give them a Christmas break and push it into the next year. Right. This, I mean, this, okay. this, the spirit of this album is, t- and you know, and, and like, I will say, I agree with everything that you just said. And I actually think that this album is awesome because of all of those things. Like it's yeah, an album that should not work. Yeah. And I get, and I, it's, a, it's also one of those albums where we can see that like people might hate it. Like I think when oh. um, when we covered Pyogenesis Twin L Blood, we both love that like sincerely. But we can also step back and go, okay, I can see how somebody might not like it. Sure, you know. Whereas you know, moving pictures or pizza, you're like, well, n- nobody that's human could not like those. Things. <laughs> the, the two things on earth impossible not to like: moving pictures and pizza. Well, I would very, think. Tr- very true. Yeah, I would, I would actually put like sex. Well, under both of those. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, as, as great as it is. Yeah, me. it's it's easier to get good pizza and, and good moving pictures listens than good sex. Yeah. So, yeah. And it being a, a 1993 album, an honorary one anyway, you know, a simple and kind of everyday record company decision could have made it that way. 
because it's not common for albums to come out as brand new in in December. It's right. just tra- music industry tradition where you, know, you kind of hold off and that sort of thing. And um, this came out December 18th from all we know and all I remember. I do remember it being close to, to winter, uh, Christmas break and all that. But but the thing I want to say was that, yeah, so so to me, it might as well be 1993. Yeah. It's, because release dates are determined not by, you know, recording history. Uh, sure. or, or what was recorded, but just when does, you know, when's it on the docket and when do we do the marketing, blah, 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 you know? It's probably telling of Eric's expectations for the record that they just went ahead and released it in December. That's an excellent point. I was going to raise that later, but we might as well talk about it briefly now. This was on Eric, as was their debut, The Key, which, you know... is an amazing that, record. Yeah, that fits really squarely into the Eric sort of way of doing things at the time, I think. Kind of innovative, but also kind of fitting into, you know, a time and a place, I guess, you know? Yeah. Where this one, yeah, you felt like I think they just dropped the ball on it completely on purpose. Uh, Eric did uh, because there was just nothing on this, as I remember. I think Confessor toured with them on this in this era. They did in Europe, right? They did. Yeah, which would be a fucking amazing pairing. You know? Yeah, I mean, it, it. You know, you talk about like probably. I mean, at the time, maybe except for old, like the two most marginal bands on the Eric roster. But they, and you know, and and I've got to give Tom Haley credit for this too, because I remember very distinctly the first time that I hung out with Tom, which was at the first Confessor reunion show. The four of us were in the car on the way to that barbecue and Tom brought up that tour um, and was like, you know, objectively it doesn't really make all that much sense but if you think about it it makes a ton of sense like they both have sort of these different approaches to like techie music they're both progressive they're both like really really weird you know margin figures agree totally and they're just they're just misfits in this world you know yes. they fit there, but they don't i guess we don't really need to cover the key I, I feel like a lot of people that would be tuning into something like this will know the key right uh, i would like know. to like to think so yeah, but um, the big thing then was that it was touted as like includes keyboards, sort of as, as like an ingredient. It's like, yeah, it was kind of like the hype, and I, I never bought that hype too much because there were always, well, there were often keyboards in metal throughout metal. Sure, they weren't so prominent in in the way that say Sverd is in Arcturus. Exactly. So, what's your yeah. take on the keyboard role? In yeah, Arcturus? I mean Louis Louis Panzer's a, a sort of a um, a conduit for atmosphere. Um, I always thought he like had really good instincts too. Like I always dug the sounds he chose. I, I think that they're placed well, but yeah, they're, they're, you, 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 the sphere thing is that's the perfect comparison because like sphere's an anchor and Louis's not, you know, Louis is there to provide, you know, texture and mood. And, and yeah, I, and I'm with you, man. Like I bought the key during that, kind of first wave of getting into death metal, um, partly um, predicated on the expectation that the keys would dominate the album. And when I got at home and listened to it, I realized that they were just sort of, I don't want to say ornamentation, but they're just kind of a part of the, like, you know, a a vague part of the framework. Yeah, they lay a bed. They're a foundation. Right. They're the box spring of death metal. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. Sorry, my apologies. Yeah, but so so okay. So here's where we're at. We're in late December, and this album's coming out. And there was a fair bit of buzz on Nocturnus with, with the key. Like they did really well, I think, for themselves. I think a lot of people were looking forward to it. And I remember this. 
I remember get, this being one of those albums where I got it. I loved it, but I was just like, yeah, this will this will probably tank. And like, it didn't really get a lot of love. It's 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 mostly unloved to this day. So, what was your first meeting with this album? Um, I, I actually didn't love it at first. Mm. Um, I, and it it, it just it kind of left me cold. Um, and I I mean that's obviously the point. Um, I I, I would, for one I was like getting pretty serious about the drums at that time, and I thought the drumming on this was just like really really. Um, inept um or at least inept to the task it doesn't fit that what they're doing it does mike browning hates this album to be fair sure Um, sure he does um it's the same sort of problem with marco fadis on spheres um he's you know but marco fadis um unlike mike browning had a stint as like a great death metal drummer i mean marco fadis was a really good i mean his, his stuff on uh consuming impulse is killer and you're um, saying that you didn't, that you don't think Mike Browning's a good. No, I think Mark, Mike Browning um, is sort of a visionary. Um, I think he um, adds a lot of imagination, um, a lot in the way of concept. But like he's he's a very limited musician. Even, That's fair enough. Even on the key, he's still pretty blocky. But he found himself well out of his depths on threshold. I used the word blocky earlier and you just did. This is yep. this is an adjective that I find most useful when I talk about Nocturnus. And yes. I, I, it's it's a weird one to describe why you mean that, but but you know and I know and, and I guess people who talk musical language to some degree know what we're talking about. But I know. I know. The Nocturnus <laughs> demos. Um, those are even blockier. And yeah, like, they are kind of fits at, at that time they're primitive kind of this pre-war metal almost sort yeah. of rage and um but still weird and um anyway let's get into it i think i think it's time we're gonna just go through the album this is climate controller i love the title probably a favorite of mine on the album along with two others Absol- um, okay i'll be interested to see what those are because this is one of my favorites on the album
that was the opener off of Nocturnist's Thresholds Climate Controller, which one might uh, mistakenly assume is about an air conditioning unit, but is instead about some ancient god that can control the weather. HVAC metal. HVAC metal. I like it. Yeah. That could be a new thing, man. <laughs> Get rid of all this uh, this dubstep uh, trap metal stuff. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, Jeff and I were musing during the song that it would be really interesting to have heard um, Sean Reinert retool this music. Um, yeah. Sort of in the way that, you know, he, comp- like, you know, with a different drummer, Human would have been a very different album. Oh, yeah. um, and I, I think that he would have um, given some elasticity to this music that would have made it breathe a lot more. But, you know, the suffocating effect of it is kind of charming. Charming is probably not the right word, but it's effective. Well, we talked about that with Pestilence of Spheres when we right. covered those three, you know, 1993 albums uh, quite a few episodes ago. And that that is the same thing where it's like, uh, and it's a, it's a Lars Ulrich effect. Technically, maybe these guys aren't the greatest. Yep. But the reason those albums have a special and isolated sound from the rest of their catalog, much less the rest of other bands, is because of these drummers, really. I, sure. you know, I mean, as, at least as much as what's going on musically uh, above them. And, I totally agree, especially about Lars. You know, I mean, I you know, I've, I've obviously have any number of issues with Lars's drumming, but like Metallica Records would not be Metallica Records without his playing. Yeah, and who wants a different sounding Ride the Lightning? Not, no, not. no, nobody, nobody. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I hope not. Uh, yeah. So, so this is this is sort of the charm and appeal of everything, and um, it's funny that they they would get in because Mike Browning sang on the key. This time he's just drumming, and they brought in a guy named Dan Izzo from um, certainly what has to be one of uh, Florida's least celebrated death metal bands called Tortured Soul. <laughs> you know, I think a demo or two. He's, he's not really all that distinctive. I like his phrasing at times, and I, the reason I bring him up now is because his phrasing does follow. <laughs> it's a bit blocky too, but it, it kind of works. It's just as stylistically, he doesn't have uh, as much personality as you'd hope. You know, No, he doesn't. This, yeah. This genre, you know, it's like you want guys like Martin Van Drunen or you want guys like David Vincent who you just know who they are right away. They're, they're, they're stamping their character all over. it. And it's like, if you're going to be just a death metal vocalist, you better be good. You yeah, know, if you're like, if you're not going to like play guitar or bass or something and like the, all, your, your whole job is to do the vocals. Like, you know, you you probably need to have some personality. I mean, and he, he's he's good. I mean, and I've I've come to like him over the years. At least his performance on this album. But yeah, like you said, I mean, he's you know, you turn on altars, like you know who that is. It sounds like we're making excuses for this album and, and making excuses for uh, Mike Browning and Dan Izzo. I think we've already covered the weak, weaker points of the album. I don't want to say weak. I, I'm I'm glad the album is the way it is. Yeah, right. Same. These guys. But um, we'll get into the real character on the album. And we already, of course, talked about Panzer. So I think, you know, we can only be talking about the guitarist. We'll get into that after uh, Tribal Voden. And this is just basically another spelling of voodoo. Um, I've always wondered what it was. I only looked it up because of this show.
that's Tribal Vodin, second song from Thresholds. I, I think a lot of the guitar work on this song, and I'm not sure what snippet we're going to play yet. I think I want to play the beginning couple minutes, but at the end especially, Sean McNenny and Mike Davis start sounding like they're on a Megadeth album. Um, mm-hmm. Just with the incredible guitar work, the, the tandem playing, the fluidity, the attack, um, everything that you would want there. Um, Davis and McNenny, man, go. Yeah, I mean, really two of the most underrated guitarists in metal history as far as I'm concerned. And you brought up the uh, you know the parallels to Nasty Savage, another great underrated Florida band um, with really, really, you know, playing um, music that is sort of tethered to tradition, but also um, kind of mutated by the, the power of its guitarists. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, um, I don't think that the power of these two guys can be understated in any, the, the, the virtuosity can be understated in any way. Um, I think they're j- damn near as good on the key. Um, but this, you know, the context of this record sort of lends itself to their unique talents. Great point about Nasty Savage too. Uh, you know, we did that episode on them and especially Indulgence. And, um, you know, it, I love other aspects of that band, especially Nasty Ronnie, but it's the guitarist there. It's yep. just, this is the character. This is most of the character you're getting on this album. And uh, we're going to go right into Nocturne in B minor. This is a favorite of mine. I mentioned three favorites. This is This is the second one.
So as we were listening, um, you mentioned the word sublime for that last part. And it really is. This, uh, this is a favorite song of mine because of that character that it has. Sure. Uh, you know, it doesn't have the vocals. It's not trying to be death metal. Uh, it's a little bit like Cosmic Sea from um, Human you know, on the Death album, right? Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it just doesn't try to be anything else but an, an even more progressive-minded song, I guess. Is what right. I'm um, yeah, I know it's a, it's a statement piece in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, again, Highlight of Thresholds, Lewis Panzer there giving a lot to the band that they wouldn't otherwise have there. And some unbelievable guitar work. I guess we should mention that uh, this album does have a bass player. Um <laughs> <laughs> like, like the key, it's kind of a guy that didn't have a whole lot of, you know, cred or, or you know, resume in the death metal world of Florida and elsewhere. It's a guy named Chris Anderson. Uh, he has no other albums to his credit that I can find. So one of the more obscure names to appear on a kind of a semi-classic death metal record for Florida anyway. Glad he has such a distinctive name. <laughs> but, you know, it's funny because like, I didn't know that fact either until, you know, we sat down and decided to do this for this episode. Right. And the reason is I have the CD. Uh, the original pressing, and I love it. I'll never get rid of it. But man, that booklet is so flawed because the lyrics and the liner notes and every the thanks and you know the credits, they're just a, you know it's black on black and white. Oh no, it's impossible. By somebody that didn't know what they were doing with you know early computer graphic um, layout, and uh, it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. <laughs> completely horrible. It ruins the pictures and it ruins the text. So, and, and the thing is, this is wrapped around what I think is. Great artwork. I love both the front and back cover. Yeah, yeah. But you're right. I would always say especially the back because the back to me has it, the detail. Of, well, yeah, and it, it evokes the the last song in the album called Grid Zone. It's just this sort mm. of like just mammoth space structure. The detail on it is so so good, and and um, yeah, I I don't know. I, I so I love the packaging. The, the front cover looks like Crystal Ages album. Have you ever noticed that? Oh yeah, actually, that's true. Yeah, it's the same ship. They just caught it at a different angle. <laughs> so, anyway. Uh, well, I don't know if we'll ever cover that album. I, Probably awesome. not. I, I don't think that um, that Oscar um, is long for radical research. Just, that, that album's real. One way or another. It, it, it's, you know, it's an interesting album. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's just interesting. I certainly want to like it more. Um, we could do a we could do a war comp show at some point. Ooh, I'm down. Okay, cool. But yeah, then you get the band picture, uh, not including Mr. Chris Anderson, and uh, then you get the the insides as we talked about. No wonder he wasn't credited nor anybody else. So, uh, recorded by Tom Morris at the familiar Morris Sound. Now, this is interesting. You and I both learned recently, we'll say, that this was recorded in late '91. Came out in late '92. We made the case for it being a '93 album, but now, it's not. Now, what do you think? Yeah, it's a little ahead of its time. Because now a record company decision would be like it'd be like disastrous. Like, oh, we're going to put it out in a year. Well, no, you know, uh, <laughs> no, no record company would do that now. Well, I, I should say, okay, so they finished it in December. It was all in December '91. Uh, by the time, the but it was in the can for a year. Yeah, yeah. So it would have been like seven months before. the the record company started even thinking about working with. Yeah. So what happened? I don't know. It's weird. So I don't like that knowing that fact now though, because it it makes it less of a 93 album for me. And I always wanted, although it makes, see, it makes it that much more impressive because it foretold a lot of stuff that was to come. Now it's, now it's a bit more separate. It's a a visionary album. Yeah. 
because you know we have dimensions, we have spheres, and sure. as before. Interesting. Arctic Crypt uh, is the fourth song, and this is my third favorite. Although I love most of the second side as well. Um, this is probably one of their biggest songs, and was I think and was uh, covered by the Polish band Skeptic. Oh wow, that's right. Um, who's the kind of band that you would seek out only if you have sort of the the most desperate needs for tech death. Um, <laughs> it's why I had some gory blister records there for a while. Oh man, you got rid of Art Bleeds? No. Okay. Other ones. <laughs> okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, there. Okay, fair enough. Right. It, it, anyway, no, Art anyway. Crypt. Now, Archer Crypt, great song. I think it's a favorite of yours. It's, it, it, it's yeah, my second favorite on the record. I think it is one of their most well-known. I think it's one of their best, too. I, you know, For me, I'd put this on against anything on the key in terms of like what's not, what, what does Nocturna sound like. This this is a pretty great representation, I'd say. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, but it seems like a good time to tell the story before we listen to a, a bit of it. Um, Ar- so think of Arctic Crypt. I mean, that, again, sounds like a freezer. We're, we're very much in HVAC metal mode. Um, here, with this <laughs> I think you just uh, you uh, you coined a new a new genre tonight, man. So so my zine partner back in the early '90s, good friend and roommate of mine named Mike Hope. Um, he loved the key. He bought thresholds and he loathed it. He hated it, hated it. And for some reason, he felt that it was better stored not on the CD rack because he didn't want to get rid of it so much. And I, and I think he did like the you know aspects of it, or you know maybe the, the artwork. I, I don't know. So. We shared two different apartments between, I guess, 92 and 93 and, and into 94. Uh, and over the next several years, he parked this CD in the freezer of the, you know, the top of the fridge. <laughs> and I'm, a couple of people came over, would come over. Like, we, you know, we're fairly social then and hang out with people and friends would come over or whatever. And, you know, they, they were free to get into the freezer if they needed to. And um, people would see this CD sitting in there. <laughs> it's just such an odd thing, you know. Oh, man. Frozen dinners and what have you. But... <laughs> And it's a, but it's funny because it's a cold sounding album, and I don't know if that's why he did it, but it is a very, it's one of the most cold sounding tech metal albums. Oh, absolutely, yeah, no, it, 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 the record has no love for you, you know? Right, right. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's unwelcoming. You got your ice cubes, you got your ice cream, you got your Arctic Crip. You got your Arctic Crip. Don't 
that's my second favorite track on the album. Love Nocturne, but I actually have a third, a different third favorite. Well, there's some good stuff coming up. Yeah, but yes. I hear you. Um, but I think we get Izzo's most commanding and menacing performance on Arctic Crip. Yeah, it, I, yeah, I, I think so too. There's a, there's that point where to me he becomes like a feral cavalier. It's like almost a like a yeah, totally. But like almost get like syndrome vibes too. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. You know, just that, just where he sort of dominates the music. It's almost like Marshall phrasing too, where it's just like yeah, exactly, absolutely, you dead on the money, man. That's exactly it. And two, there is nothing in the nocturnus ooze that's quite like that. Uh, Trying try, try to elevate the, uh, the level of discourse here. You know, we started about sucking dick. So I figured, you know, I throw an odd French phrase in every now and then, um, but, but like that, that clean section. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. I mean that, that is just that pure 93 prog death. Yep. Yep, they went there, it, and they'd go there briefly, and as you mentioned, they never do it. They've never done it again before or since. It's uh, it's an interesting moment, and um, I, I guess that speaks to you know the talent and the vision in this band. Sure, uh, you know there's certainly it, it actually kind of to me speaks to maybe some dashed hopes, like maybe those guys wanted to do more of that sort of thing, and just felt like they weren't able to. Yeah, perhaps. Because, I, I mean, Eric was not a, a beacon of prog death in the, the way that, like, you know, Roadrunner or even, like, Century Media was. Sure. Yeah, this or was... No, this or was Noise or... Yeah. Yeah, I think Confessor yeah. and Alternus, well, there you go. Those are probably the two outliers. Confessor wasn't death. But they're in a, yeah, they're in a clean guitar on Condemned. Confessor, Confessor was heavy enough that... Oh, yeah, they were brutally heavy. Yeah, they were accepted by death metal and death metal fans because of that, you know, sort of heaviness that that, that was about them. And, you know, where else are you going to put them? Nowhere, really. <laughs> um, let's move on to the second longest song in the album. This is Aquatica. It's pretty great stuff here as well. This, this is my third favorite. Aha. Yeah, 
I do like that that song, along with Arctic Crypt and along with the beginning of Climate Controller and Nocturne in B minor, kind of give us this this kind of soundtracky layer to everything. And mm-hmm. and the back cover and the front cover do kind of come alive. I've always thought it was a pretty visual album in terms of the images that I get when I sit and listen and I'm, I'm really focused on it. I, you know, that's seven plus minute song just to me goes through a lot of dramatic turns. Uh, it's very imaginative. Very much so. And it's one of those albums um, that where, where the artwork looks like the album sounds. And I, I always welcome that because that to me, that's indicative of an artist that cares about the full scope of a vision. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to move on. Let, let, let's move on. Let's ramble on. Mr. We've Wagner. We've kept the Nocturnus legions waiting long enough. It's time for subterranean infiltrator. Like and, and use like the most like cliched explosion sound imaginable. Yeah, that was a preset. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Okay. Okay, we got a lot to talk about because you and I were just totally getting into it through that whole listen. And um, there's a lot to talk about. But the, the first thing I got to say is that um, we mentioned like, oh, would, 
what if Sean Reinert was on this album? Well, that would be cool. Change of complexion maybe would probably make it even better. Uh, what about Tony Choi on bass? Mm. And, you know, and Choi, like, all right, so I, I really do think that Malone was probably the better fit for Focus. Um, but Choi had this mix of, like, dexterity and aggression. You know, if you listen to Choi on the Roadrunner demo, I mean, he, like, he attacks the bass. Well, he's more metal. Sean Malone he is, he is. probably say I'm not really all that metal in terms of where I'm coming from. Right. And that's fine. But Choi did have more uh, aggression, more, uh, a meanness to the playing. Sean Malone's not a mean bass player. No, 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 no. Fucking amazing. Yeah, but not mean. And he's a fantastic guy. But, like... But like, yeah, he's not uh, he's not like a mean player because I don't think he, that's just not the back. Well, no, I mean he's a he's a jazz player. Yeah, and he's in, incredible. Anyway, um, now, yeah, but but um, but yeah, I, like Choi, I Choi would have like lent a lot of weight to this album in addition to Ryder. I mean, we were talking about you know the beginning of this song, like you're waiting for something to happen with the drums, and it never happens. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. It's just like, yeah, inertia. <laughs> and, I, and I mentioned that, like, maybe this is the last song that they recorded for the sessions and Browning was already checked out. Because, you know, to this day, he hates this album. It's just not the direction he wanted to go in. And let's talk about that. Yeah. Because Browning was always a huge part of Nocturnus. He's really, you know, he's a founder of it, for one. Um, left after this. They did another album without him years later. And... Browning deserves some respect for that. So he, sure. he's always, and probably still to this day, is into sort of more satanic lore, literature, philosophy, whatever. And this is what he wanted to do as the follow-up to the key. And he did it to a degree on that sort of Nocturnus AD thing, which we're not going to cover that right now. No. We can talk about that some other time. But, um, but yeah, this album obviously goes in a very different direction, right? Yeah, and I mean, I think he was just at odds with the – the theme, uh, not not only the the progress that the band was making musically, but also the the lyrical themes. You know, um, migrating from yeah, like you said, that you know that satanic dark metal um, lyrical bent to something much more science fiction, speculative fiction. Yeah, um, and, yeah, and I I think there were like I think all those. But, you know, I, I think that maybe part of the coolness of the record is all those tensions that, like, underpin it. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and we love, you and I both just eat up anything cosmic and metal. I think it, like, we'll give something extra points if it, even if it doesn't deserve it in other areas just because it's cosmic. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think you, uh, you deserve credit um, as being one of the, the first writers in metal to really clearly outline and articulate the cosmic potential of metal. You were writing about European metal in the, the mid and late nineties um, in a way that no one else really was and picking up on threads that no one else seemed to identify. You well, did for me. I, yeah. And that's something I didn't know until recently either. Cause you know, we're, we're more, we're more friends now than we are, you know, reader writer relationships. Sure. So. Um, <laughs> but thank you for that. That makes me feel good. And that was just me being a kid into Voivod and Rush and then discovering in the mid nineties, all this, not only Prague, like King Crimson or whatever, but all this metal coming from Europe that was 
just going in a lot of different directions aesthetically and philosophically and, and, and just in terms of the artwork and just everything they were trying to portray was just so kind of far away from the norm or the stereotype of what metal was. And when it happened, and especially when it happened in, and I hate the word extreme metal because that's just dumb at this point. Um, Don't get me started. Yeah, yeah, but but you know what I mean. Like when it came into like Death Thrash and Black back in the '90s, and it was cosmic. It was like, oh, ooh, what's this? I'm gonna pick this one over the satanic thing. Not that we don't like that. I think that's say the satanic stuff's a wonderful image for metal. But you know, other people will cover that, and sure. you know, sure. there weren't as many people stepping out of the of the zone and out of the bounds and doing something different like cosmic stuff, sidereal stuff. Oxyplagates was a big one for me. I'm like, this band Yo, is yeah. So sci-fi metal. As, as no, I mean, Alf, like, basically, like, committed himself to that. Yeah, unapologetically. So it was, it was really cool. I, did yeah. we have anything else we wanted to discuss after? I don't think so. Right? I think we hit the high points. All right. Well, let's, let's go on to Alter Reality. This is the penultimate track on Threshold. point we get to the album it's alter reality it's the seventh song um there's more good stuff to come and there's good stuff in that song but i think this is the one point on the album where you kind of don't get anything new i've always thought that about this song yeah same it's kind of where you put a penultimate song right yeah second to last 
Yeah. Because <laughs> you want to end strong. Nothing against Alter Reality. There's just better stuff on the album. Let's move on. Jeff and I both totally endorse Altered Reality. We certainly do. However. And I know what you mean by that. Let's, let's get on to Grid Zone. We also like getting into the Grid Zone. You know we do. We are big fans of the Grid Zone. So we've been using the word blocky to describe this band, um, this sort of squared out geometry of their execution. And I think that the beginning of the song perfectly exemplifies what Jeff and I would like to call block turnus. <laughs> block turnus. Now give me that on a shirt with the pentagram logo and all that. I'll buy. I'm buying. 
Can you make a like? Yeah, the pentagram. That we're gonna have to like put a square around the pentagram too. Oh yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah instead of no, a circle. no circle. No, it's a squ- it's a square pentagram. Don't anybody steal this? We've got records. Yeah, no, we we've yeah, no. Jeff and I are already in the copyright phase. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's not as if Nocturna shirts don't sell enough right now because they're, they're just they're just selling. Oh man, they're, fly, they're, fly, they're flying off the racks. They're flying off the racks. We can't keep them in stock. We sell some of them. How can you imagine then how, it, how a block turnus shirt is going to go? I mean, it's it's it's, it's, it's going to be gangbusters. It's beyond fathom. I'm going to be able to put my uh, my daughter through college now. My head's exploding. Um, but I, I do like Grid Zone a lot. I think it puts a very authoritative stamp on the album. It does everything that you want them to do, especially Davis and McNenny. I saw this band once live, and it was during the Ethereal Tomb kind of comeback album era. Um, I probably like that album way more than a lot of other people in this world. Including me. <laughs> including you. But I, I think I'm also a bit of a Nocturnus apologist. So y- you love them, but you don't go that far, and that's, and that's your choice in life. Um, the fact is, they were amazing live. And it was Davis and McNenny on guitar. So that as long as they're there, it's basically Nocturnus. Uh, Panzer was playing keyboards. Um, it was really good. It was the Ethereal Tomb era. They played some old stuff. But the guitarists were amazing. And, and I remember Steve O'Malley kind of standing right next to me. We were, we were both just, you know. Was, it, was this in New York? Yeah. Well, it, I think it was technically in New Jersey. It was like some Jack Koshik, New Jersey metal. Okay. Yeah, right, right. The one, I think it was the same one where famously, like, they were in the same room as another band playing at the same Oh, time. God, with a curtain. Black curtain drawing. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. It was a cement mixer if you were at the back of the room. And I had to be at the back of the room because the Metal Maniacs table was there. So, like, I was, like, in the cement mixer for about seven hours. It was not pleasant. But one of the few bands I got to see and wanted to see and had somebody else watch the table was Nocturnus. And they were amazing. And um, me, O'Malley, and everybody else were just, I think, pretty impressed. And I, I think a lot of people hadn't seen those guys live because they didn't they, they didn't play a ton in the U.S., you know. Yeah. And they were incredible. So, that's that. That's Grid Zone. Anything else to say about that? I think there was something else we wanted to mention. No? Not that I can recall now. I think we've covered it. Nocturnus. I think we have. The 1991 album by Nocturnus, it turns out. Uh, technically recorded in 91. 1991-1993 album by Nocturnus. I'm going to look into that, though. because It came out in 1992. Metal Archives has steered us wrong before on that uh, uphill battle. This is true. Uh, there was a little fiasco. This is true. They're not. They're they're like Wikipedia, a great source of information, but not but, always. But fallible. Okay, it's been fun. This has been great. I missed it. I didn't imagine we would ever take five months off, but I've been busy doing things. I'm still writing my Voivod book, and this has never been um, publicly said yet. And we'll, we'll take this as the soft announcement of my other book that I've been working even harder on, which will probably come out before the Voivod book, which is a book on Fate's Warning. So um, I've been working really hard on that. And I know you've been enjoying some tidbits I've been giving you in confidence. Mm. Uh, that I've been learning about Fate's Warnings. It's been a fascinating, fascinating journey. Um, Jim Mateos is an incredible human being, I have to say that. It's been a lot of fun working with him. And um, I mean, they um, they always... The, the ghost of Fate's Warning is always hanging around me. 
You know, like no matter as a listener or as a player or any writer, whatever, face warning is like they're always around. How impressive are they? I mean, that's. I mean, dude, like, yeah. They've always been like that for me. And I know for you, that's another band that bonded us when we met. Anyway, this has just been fun to do. And I know you've, you know, we've both been through some personal stuff. You've been through the ringer the last five months, but, but this is music is uh, about reflecting what's going on in our life and also about escaping it. So um, we thank everybody for listening to our babbling about Nocturnus's particularly strange album thresholds. Seriously. Thank, thank you to everybody that listens. We are, incredibly grateful that you would give up the time that you could spend listening to music to listen to us talk about music. Um, and please know how much we appreciate your patronage and your time. Forest pits. Where are you? That's what I want to know. Where are you forest pits? We have a functioning web store. Now you can find it at radicalresearch.org uh, in the buy cool stuff area. Uh, that's going to be brand new by the time that this uh, episode comes out. We use any donations to help Radical Research flourish. Uh, You can also like us on Facebook and that shit. I also want to mention we're going to do these and put these out in the time frame that makes me most comfortable because I think sticking to an every two-week schedule is great, but um, this is a passion project, and we don't do it to make any money, and I have a lot of other things happening, and I know Mm. you do, Hunter. Every time we do it, it's going to be just for the passion of it and we're going to do as good of a job as we can, but I don't think we'll be too far off of the two week thing. I think maybe every three weeks at worst. So I just hope everybody you know, understands we're not going to be on a strict, strict, strict schedule like we were for the first 50 episodes, <laughs> but we're going to keep doing this. And to that point, I, you know, we've also got the next several, I think up to 63 um, planned or at least talked about 63. We know what that's going to be, right? Uh-huh. Um, we also know what 68 is going to be. Oh, sorry. I meant 68. I actually absolutely because oh, okay. there is no 6-3 time signature. Um, but next episode, we haven't discussed it. I'm going to throw three at you. We're going to pick it right on the spot. Sweet. Okay. Uh, we've talked about, I think, maybe one of these. Um, the first one, Hammers of Misfortune Career. That will include Unholy Cadaver. So mm. that's choice number one. Choice number two would be the Octahedron album by Mars Volta. And choice number three... And we will probably do all of these in the next five episodes, Mm -hmm. but here's what we're going to do next. Uh, The AB between Written in Waters and Carhartt and Norwegian Files will know what we mean and which bands uh, recorded those albums. So, Hunter, pick it. Octahedron. (laughs) I knew you'd go there. Don't you you ever put that in front of me. (laughs) Oh, I did, and that's what you said. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. 